I apologize for the laundry on the bed behind me. I, uh, I assure you it's clean. There is a reason that I have my virtual background on. I, I don't want anyone seeing into my home <laughs> because they would see exactly the same sort of thing. <laughs> I can choose my uh, the, the background I use for the uh, role-playing role game. Very nice. That one's nice. It, it, it's wonderful, the backgrounds that are available, just looking at Netrunner artists online. I've got a, a wide variety from the game. Uh, what was this my is, other fun? This is one of the like coolest ones that I can never use at work because people are like, what the hell? I've got this one. I like that one a lot. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Pretty basic, but what was the other one? I normally put on running interference. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is that? It doesn't matter. Zoom may have updated. Sometimes when Zoom updates, you lose your virtual backgrounds. That's happened to me before. Yeah. Um, oh, here it is, actually. Hey, there we go. Ooh. I like that one because it looks like it's about to grab me. <laughs> it looks like some kind of definitely, net, definitely net runnery. Yeah, th this is actually why the slums cast has been so long delayed. Uh, the, the guy from Running Interference grabbed Josh and kidnapped him into the cyberspace. <laughs> true story, true story. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question, question for you both before we get going. Any do's and don'ts for the podcast from your perspectives? I would say, like, sometimes it's very, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, shit posty. Yeah. Add levity in post. <laughs> Add levity in post, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I actually. Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your host, Neuropancer, and do I usually say something here? Yes, you do. You normally say you're the something of Netrunner. Um, do you usually say something after that? Yeah, I say, and I'm your other host, Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's okayest player. Yeah, we should just we should just go to straight to that. Yeah, could, could you could you do that instead? Oh, and I'm your co-host Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's okayest player. First take was a little better, but that's fine. We can fix that in post. Okay, what what we have gathered you here today, dear listener, to do is an episode of the Slums Cast. For those of you who have not listened to an episode of the Slums Cast, I am genuinely a little surprised how you found this one first, but. That's neither here nor there. I do have to warn you a little bit going into this. This is an episode of a podcast. It is about Netrunner, but we are not going to teach you how to be better at Netrunner. We might not teach you how to be a better person either, if that's something you were hoping as a consolation prize. Like if they can't make me good at Netrunner, at least they will make me a better person. I, You might want to temper your expectations on this. What we do, however, is have an excellent special guest today. Josh, would you like to introduce our special guest? Oh, you know I would. Well, everybody, I would like to have you put your hands together. I'm actually on a post-recorded uh, medium. That doesn't make sense. But anyway, you know him. You love him. A mod for the UK channel for a long time. A mod on Stim Slack. A member of the Nisei 
EDI team, Toll, aka Toll Aston, aka Russ. How you doing? Hey, doing good. Good to talk to you both. Good to be on. It's been a it's been a while making this happen. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> we we, we are so sorry. This genuinely was the worst case of like Slack. Uh, you know, you know, telephone tag or, or phone tag where, you know, you call someone, they don't pick up, then they call you, you're not available. I feel like this was that over Slack over the course of several weeks. <laughs> yeah. And time zones. I mean, they're such a pain in the ass, right? Let's just yeah. get rid of them. Just get rid of time zones. It'd be much easier if we were all on one time zone. As long as the time zone's a good one for me, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you don't want it to be uh, super dark out and then you got to go to work. Yeah. yeah. Don't mind me just waking up at 2 a.m. for my work starting at 3 a.m. But seriously, time zones do make things a lot more difficult logistically just to, to get these episodes recorded. All jokes aside, essentially, we were kidnapped by the by the time zone machine. We, we were kidnapped by time zones. That's why it's been so long since you've heard an episode of Slums Cast and... It's unfortunate, really, is what it is. Well, we're back. Well, you're back. You're back. Yeah. And I'm with you. So that's nice. We're back. The time zone machine is slain, and we can move forward with our lives. I don't understand anything that was just discussed, but, but sure. It, there's, there's a spinoff video game. It's fine. It's, it's where we fight the time zone machine. Do you know how to build a video game? Side note. With that, we should probably move into a segment. I think typically this point of the episode is where we do... Um, is where we do bacon up thin cloves, but I haven't thought up a good bread pun yet, so we're going to have to skip that for now. I think what we might need to do is move straight into the beef zone. The beef zone. The beef zone is a segment where we ask a simple question, which would win in a fight? I think the question that we should go over today is, which would win in a fight? All right, I actually don't have a question here. I was hoping I would come up with one in that time. Um, any any suggestions here from either of y'all? I'm trying to think the last the last time I listened to a Slumscast episode, and I'm trying to remember the, the, what the beef is. The beef sound like two two cards fighting against each other. Is that a lot of times? Yeah, normally it's ideas. Concepts. Like it's it's what side of a far argument do you fall on, basically? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're sorry, we're so unprepared. This yeah, is where, uh, this is where preparation preparation helps. <laughs> yeah, it it does, it does. We're leaving we're all of it, it, we're leaving it, all of this in, I assume. <laughs> a lot of it. I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. Oh boy. The alternative is that you ask me how I got into Netrunner. <laughs> <laughs> true true um, tell us something about yourself or something right we can do that we can we can do baking up think loaves as the beef zone which would win in a fight the way that you got into netrunner or your favorite id oh boy which would win in a fight the way i got into netrunner or my favorite id huh Well, very curious to hear how this question gets answered. <laughs> the easier one to start with is how I got into Netrunner. So I was just thinking of looking back in in my time machine, May the 14th, 2015, mm. uh, Guardian article in the UK uh, newspaper, how Netrunner took over my life and why it should take over yours. <laughs> Good article. Nice. You can find it. 
I didn't realize there was an article written that had, I mean, that had that title for one thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So, in The Guardian. In The Guardian. Wow. So Quinn's, Quinn's wrote it. And it's, oh. a, story, it's a story of um, the Underwoods from, from Last Click. And uh, Kathy from, Kathy Underwood was going to her first Netrunner tournament. And it's the story of Netrunner. Quinn's used it as a, as a way to, you know, he was really into Netrunner big at the time. So he used it as a way to sort of raise consciousness. So I, I read, read the article um, and said to my son, this looks like an interesting game. Shall we buy the corset? We bought the corset and, and played our first game and it lasted like three hours and we got all the rules mm -hmm. wrong. Which decks did you play in the first game? Did you play the suggested like Jinteki versus Anarch or whatever it was? I have this memory that we played didn't, we, we probably did for the first game. And I think looking that they're notoriously terrible oh, decks, God, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, but it's a long time ago. But the, the good news is we enjoyed it enough that we played again. And and actually, I think I don't I don't know whether we how how fast we would have really got involved, except for Jinteki.net was just getting off the mm. ground, right? And then my son um took to it really fast because he's like young and has an agile mind and I'm old and don't. So he took it to it really fast and um and and got, got enough into it that he wanted to buy a ton of cards. So we, we actually went on a, to the States on a massive road trip across mm -hmm. America. And along the way, he kept on stopping at game stores to, to, to go in and buy the, the, the next the next set of Netrunner packs that we didn't have. Because I, <laughs> I guess in 2015, the game had been going for what, like two years, three years, maybe? Something like that. I started in 2016 and I want to say Mumbad was happening in 2016, so... Does that mean that like Lunar or Sansan would have been happening in 2015? It was before, it was just before Data and Destiny and the, okay, massive, okay. the, the big Data and Destiny delay, right? Where it didn't yeah. work forever or anything, but then, you know, would it, would it come out for worlds and things like that? So anyway, so that's how I got into Netrunner. What's my favorite ID? I guess is the other question. Um, actually, I think my favorite ID is probably Geist. Although mm. I ended up having to stop playing Geist because after a day in a tournament playing Geist, my brain was just like marshmallow, um, absolute toast, you know, just like, you know, so many triggers and all the rest of it. It's fine on JNet, but playing him in real life is just mind-meltingly difficult. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so the question is, who would win a fight, Geist or the Guardian? <laughs> <laughs> Feel like you could play a game of Netrunner to figure this out. <laughs> what, what kind of ID would the Guardian be? See, I'm one thing I'm terrible at is law. I, I have a very, very, very poor understanding or recollection or awareness of Netrunner law. An NBN one, but the Guardian feels like it could be a Netrunner card. Right? That's potentially a unique ice, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean the Guardian. Yeah, but yeah. like. Guardian's already a no. That's guard. I'm sorry. Yeah, the guardian, century that guardian you can't sounds bypass. like guardian sounds like an over expensive barrier, but the guardian sounds like an even more expensive barrier that probably like I don't know skips the runner's turn or something. I think you're onto something, Josh. I think the guardian would be an NBN ID, and like I, I thematically. At least just from the tagline, you would think controlling the message fits the most, right? Yeah. That's the goal of a large media entity like that. 
Geist, Geist versus CTM. How do you feel about that matchup? Well, it's kind of miserable, right? But I mean, all Geist games go basically the same way. You have a miserable first five turns, whether you're worrying about whether you're, you know, whether you're going to, you know, whether you're going to win or not. And if you can make it to like six or seven turns, you probably win. Mm -hmm. um, but but it's it's that early stage when basically you've got no money. You can't do anything. You're watching the court rush out or install things and you can't contest them because if you do, you're going to get, well, most of the time, heartedly used, <laughs> which is basically instant death for Geist. But um, yeah, so it's that 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 sense of oh, late game inevitability, but early game seat of the pants panic. Mm. Uh, you know, I can't do anything. I'm just going to have to let you do your thing until eventually. But yeah, many Geist games don't <laughs> don't end well. <laughs> I would say many Geist games don't end well in either direction. Many Geist games don't end well for Geist because you have to do something earlier than you want to. But as someone who has played CTM against Geist and has not been able to rush out fast yeah. enough, it is the worst 20 minutes of your life, just waiting for Geist to finally kill you. It's interesting <laughs> because I've never played, I don't, I don't think I have ever played uh, in a competitive um, scenario the faction that must not be named. Right. I don't think I've ever done that, but I've played loads and loads of Geist and, and Geist actually, in some ways, is kind of like the faction that must not be named is that you often have ways of getting into a server or magicking money out of your ass or, you know, making things happen or, you know, popping street peddlers and doing stuff to get in. They, you know, playing against Geist, you always have a feeling that you can never be sure that your server is safe. Um, yeah. The least criminal of all the criminals. In a sense, we, we actually answered this question better than we typically do. We we not only have who would win in a fight, we, we have an entire matchup breakdown for who would win in a fight here. So mm -hmm. yeah. I like that. I like that. That's props to us. I'm, I'm proud of us. We, we went from no question to uh, a full matchup breakdown. Several bonus uh, beef loaves, if you will. <laughs> Meatloafs? Um, I said what I said. What would be the difference between a meatloaf and a, a beef loaf? Is it just that you're only allowed to use beef if it's beef loaf? Is a roast like technically like a loaf of meat? How do you define a loaf? Yes. I'll tell you that one of my favorite things to cook, especially at Christmas, it's become an annual thing of beef wellington. Oh, 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 that that sounds like a beef loaf right there because it's, it's got it looks like a beef loaf because it's yeah. got a paste on the outside. Right? Exactly. It's also absolutely delicious if a beef loaf is going to be a beef wellington then i'm very on board with this that, that sounds fantastic to me so i guess that was the bacon up beef loaf zone <laughs> bacon up beef loaf zone there there's a reason we usually write things down in the sheets <laughs> that's a whole new sentence josh <laughs> i can make up a sound for it too if you want obviously we need that. This is going to become a recurring segment now. <laughs> oh, God, no. I'm not even drunk. Jesus. This is a monster. This is caffeine. This is a bonus, uh, well, a bonus beef loaf in this case. Most people have a pet ID that's bad. It might not be your favorite ID, but it's kind of, it's your favorite bad ID. Do you have a favorite bad ID? Favorite if bad so... ID. How would you make it better? If you could do one thing to make that pet bad ID better, what would it be? I don't know that I necessarily 
have a pet bad ID. I think mm. partly that's the try hard part uh. of me, right? So I'm a little bit try hard. I mean, try hard in the sense of I'm not really a deck builder. Uh, I tend to just play whatever is the best deck at the time, mm -hmm. shamelessly net deck from from Netrunner DB. Apart, I mean, Geist was <laughs> Geist. You can't kind of come back to Geist again because Geist, I mean, has been really competitive, mm -hmm. but for a long part of his 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 time, you know, as, as being a valid ID, he he wasn't good. Mm -hmm. uh, but people still play. and and then was too good, arguably, and then, and then and then and then became too good with some cards. But I don't. I, I don't I don't think I like I mean there are, there are so many IDs that I have never played I might have played them to see why people were playing a deck but I've never taken a bad ID to a tournament or anything else and by bad what I mean is I've never taken anything less than than, a, than what was regarded as a tier one deck to a tournament and that's probably just a reflection of my approach to the game yeah it makes yeah. sense I I mean I I recall us meeting in uh in, I believe it was like round seven of, of Worlds 2018. And we, we were both very much on the meta. So I uh, right. can't blame you there on either front. I mean, there's a bad, bad IDs, that, IDs that are bad like now, right? So I love Argus, a ton of Argus in the past, but right now I don't think Argus is very good. It was great yeah. that Shu put, you know, she got, um, you know, deck of the week a couple of weeks ago and I tried that deck out, but I still don't think it's, it's strong enough. So that's an easy one. Uh, Argus is currently a bad ID. Just bring Raven back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It is crazy how much that one card, and honestly, I I feel it's crazy how much that one credit killed Argus. Raven is a better card for Argus than Funhouse is in a few ways, but really that one credit makes such a difference between it and Funhouse. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The economics of Netrunner and, and how that all works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing is at the moment is that hand disruption more is everywhere. Argus rarely plays recursion. You know, you lose a key piece, you lose an agenda in the bin. I've been playing or playing around with it, played a few games of Shoes deck, and and it's okay, but I don't think it's as good as other other decks are at the moment. I used to play one preemptive action in my Argus, and then Simon Moon, uh, Kenny Deacon screamed at me for like seventeen minutes until I dropped it from my deck. So. It's life on the edge, right? I mean, it was kind of in, <laughs> you know, sort of talking about um, online tournaments versus in uh, in, in, in uh, real life tournaments or in person tournaments. And the last in person tournament I went to was the UK Nationals mm. in 2019, where people, everybody was on Argus and Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right. Everyone's on Liza because it beats everything but Argus, and then everyone's on Argus so that they can beat Liza. <laughs> Yeah, and then the court choices are: Were you running self growth program, or, or weren't you? Like, oh my gosh! Self growth so program, yeah. That was, a, that was a roller coaster. That was like the the dummy box Liza, the the really the super super toxic Liza. Yeah, it, slow DLR. Yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mike Proctor won the UK national championships with it. So, oh, uh, you know, I have an answer for this one too. Really? Tell us. Yeah. It's more so because I want a good deck to have this name. Nathaniel Nat Hall. Mm. The deck, it doesn't matter what it does. I, I just want to call it Natty by Nature. That ID, if you've never read it or never played it, says when your turn begins, gain one credit if you have two or fewer cards in your grip. Honestly, 
having your card like bookmark come back is like a key piece to to that uh, particular ID. And if it was like two credits instead, that would be pretty awesome. That ID would work pretty well. That's two changes. One of them's technically another card existing, but it's just kind of cool to like live on the edge like that with like nothing in your grip. And then getting like paid for it is pretty cool. It, it seems like it should be a really good ID because it's 15 influence of 40 cards. And the condition is like hard to meet, but it's like not that hard to meet. But it just turns out not firing a lot of the game. And and since you have a lot of other 40 card Anarch IDs now, just choosing Lou is normally better. Because my experience of Nat is whenever I play against Nat, whenever you play and your opponent unsleeves Nat, you know that no good is going to come of this. Uh, yep. Something, yeah. <laughs> something, and if nothing else, it's going to be exciting because you're going to see a card that you're going to have to read. Or <laughs> it's, you know, it's so, something, you know, it's not going to go well, either for you or for them, right? Possibly so, both. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, possibly mm-hmm. both. But mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I was just looking on on a DB for, for people who have played in that competitively big I distinctly okay, so remember there... seeing that, forget which tournament it was, but it was in play to get into the top eight type rounds. And it was not that I think triggered like maybe once the entire game, the entire point was just you were 40 cards because this was before Lee was released. And it was a fear the masses combo. It was literally just oh. so that your six fear the masses were out of 40 cards instead of 45. Yeah. World's 2018, Confus played it, fear the masses and that. It mm-hmm. went three and four. Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> so I remember another deck was Self-Damage Nat. It stopped working after Clan Vengeance was banned. Mm. Sounds right, yeah. So what you would do was you would play Respiracites, Officer Frank. Good old Officer Frank. Missed that guy. When it was, when it was legal, you would also play Vadness in it. Yep. The, the Armory. But, but you, could, you could do it without the Armory. And, and it wasn't it wasn't like a turn for Vanitas, your opponent to death deck. It was more a value Vanitas. Yeah, because like the the whole idea was just like you were gonna be trashing a bunch of cards, and then eventually, eventually, you would like run archives, and then you would scoop up agendas. Was uh, this a deck that played Levy just because you wanted to use this stuff again, or no? I believe so. I can't remember. I had I had one on DB at some point and i think i deleted it mm. because most of the cards just went away it's kind of interesting you know mentioning the card that was so short-lived there are only like eight published decks on nrdb yeah. that contain yeah. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was very the one card that, that probably right. just should not exist right like, even even if it isn't power level good enough to ban why let it potentially happen at some point? Why let it potentially yeah. be too good at some point? It's just not a fun win condition for anyone, except the one guy sitting at the table like, ha, I did my thing. You didn't even get to play the game. And the opponent's like, wow, you're so good at this game. Amazing. I'm going to go talk to my friends who aren't you. The, the, the story on, on that is it was World, I think it was UK National Championships 2017. And John, who was in our meta, was futzing around with um, uh, with that card and trying to make it work. I don't think he took it to the tournament, but he before it became the public deck that, that you know everybody realised what he could do and it got banned. So he he, 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 had, he, he had put a, a, together a deck called Clam Bitch, 
uh, and it, it has six cards in it which are currently banned <laughs> so, <laughs> imagine the meta at the time it contains three blue moose three clan vengeance three, sal- three salvage banner this armory two temujin contract an employee strike and a rumor mill oh wow <laughs> oh we used to play with those cards that's yeah. so toxic but he put it together in he put it together in alice um and uh but yeah that the basic idea was to just damage yourself so many times and then do the salvaged salvaged Xanadis armory thing. It is kind of crazy how those cards could just trick you into thinking that that concepts were good. I there there are some truly wildly bad Andy decks that I've played that I was like, what? No, this deck is good because it's well, yeah, it was winning games, but it was because it had Andy, it had Temujin, and it had Blue Moose. Those alone give you enough tempo to win a game. Like you can jam 39 other cards into the deck and it doesn't matter what they are it also contains three copies of dadiana shakon oh what usually, <laughs> usually you spent your time trying not to have zero credit so that you would never suffer the damage but in this it's this one it's basically i'm gonna get rid of all my money and take three three meat damage <laughs> so. amazing that's funny because we've told the story a couple times on the podcast of that being the, one of the cards that led to me being banned from Netrunner. And it was because of a, a, a niche interaction that Jade discovered. And I'm finding it funny to think that that exact niche interaction could have potentially happened in real life if that deck had been allowed to live. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> what? In case any listeners are are, are not remembering this specific anecdote that we've told like twice on the podcast over like 20 something episodes the exact interaction is you have daddy on a chicken you have a sure gamble that you are trying to play from five credits and with the way that the rules were written at the time you attempt to play sure gamble you pay your five credits you have daddy on a chicken on the table you go to zero credits daddy on a chicken instantly deals you the damage before you have actually played the sure gamble so it is still in your hand Dadiana Shikan hits the sure gamble. What happens now? If you want to make it even more cursed, let's say you also hit an I've had worse and you draw a different sure gamble. Jade came up with that initial hypothetical. I came up with the additional hypothetical of what if you draw a new one off of an I've had worse. So this is very cursed territory that we're that we're venturing into with this card existing in the first place with the rules as they were written back then. Oh, oh. Hilariously, though, that deck might not have cared. Like, oh, no, I'm at zero credits and I didn't get to play my sure gamble, but I also mill you for like 17 and run archives and win. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Amazing. No, 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 no. We should probably move on to another segment, right? We probably should. I think this is enough beef loaves. Beef loaves are excellent. You can't eat them all day, though. What should we move on to? I'm making you choose now. <laughs> There's got to be a good card name for this. Wait, 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 wait. Give me a second. Give me a second. Yeah, I'm 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 opening up NRDB. No, 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 no. We already we already have plenty. Oh god. <laughs> we could call it that would be really funny, but we're not gonna do that for a serious what? topic. We're, we're not gonna call it fuck shaper. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, probably not. Okay. You know what? I think since the topic at hand is a labor of love and something that you have to work at and something that 
is something you need to do over and over again. Tend the garden, so to speak. I think the perfect name for this segment would be... Daily Quest. You know, that's pretty good. I did not expect yeah. us to actually have a segment that would work that well. So this week on, on Daily Quest, so the, the, the thing that we wanted to have you on a, to talk about, and we wanted to have you on for a while, regardless of the, the phone tag game for months, like, or maybe even a, a solid year, we've wanted to have you on to talk about this. But we want to talk about community moderation. Several different questions ar- arise with it, but sort of a summary of what community moderation is. I think a lot of people know, but, you know, kind of like what you think of it as. A little bit about how it works and sort of the underlying mechanics, so to speak, or philosophies. That's plenty to start with. Let's not ask too many questions too too quick. Like, honestly, maybe what I might be interested in starting with is, in your mind, what is the goal of community moderation? There we go. Okay, that's a good question. So I guess I would say the, the goal of community moderation is to keep the community healthy. Healthy and cohesive and productive is probably the wrong word, but it's about maintaining a environment or where people can take part and to a large degree not be, I don't say worried or scared, but it's about, it's always a fine line to tread between you know, heavy-handed moderation and, and light-touch moderation. Moderation is a lot harder than people think, I, w- I would say. But the, the ultimate goal of, of, of effective moderation is to have a, a healthy community, community where people communicate with each other in, in ways which, are, which they find enjoyable, right? So, you know, and I think what's interesting, we can maybe explore this a little bit, is that in-person moderation is required very, very rarely. Mm-hmm. I can I can think of, you know, having been involved in Netrunner for what seven years now. The number of times an in-person uh, interaction has needed to be moderated, I can count on fingers of of one hand. Right, mm-hmm. it's really really rare. And and one of the reasons for that is that in person we have a ton of social contracts that exist um, that we tend to stick to because they're social contracts that are there ordinarily in our everyday lives, you know, in our work lives and our family lives and our social lives. And we, we rarely break them. Sure, we have fights, but fights are pretty rare for, for most people. You know, if we disagree with somebody, we're, we're likely to say, I disagree with that. We're not likely to, to shout in their face and, and instantly move to, to anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in-person moderation is important. Um, and when it when it is needed, it's often because something pretty egregious is is happening. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but but you know I've been involved in moderation situations where we've had to you know stop people, you know basically ban people from physically coming to tournaments because we were we were really concerned about about what that would mean. But you know, in person in person moderation, while it's necessary, and and you know we communicate norms and expectations. It's it's really needs to happen whereas in that in online it's it's you know people you know, i behave differently online than i do in 
in in-person reactions. I always mm-hmm. hate saying. I, I think it's wrong to say I behave differently online than I do in real life because online is real life. We we do interact with people. We things are faster. So ordinarily, in a if there's a conversation going on in a room between people, one person speaks and people listen, and then the next person speaks, and it tends to be you hand the baton between each other. And sure, sometimes we talk over each other, and sometimes we don't. Whereas online, you know, if there's something hot to going down, you know, that people are reacting to, you can have, you know, 20 people talking at once and it goes very, very fast. Yeah. Um, and then there's the nuance side, right? There's the, the nuances that what's written in, you don't get the facial ex- the facial expressions uh, with online sentiments. You don't know that, you know, there's no tone often on it. Yeah. We get tone via emojis. Tone is so huge, right? I mean people reacting to the same bit of news and someone saying like, wow, that's great versus wow, that's great. Those are the exact same words online, unless you put an emoji or like a a slash S on it. Yeah. So I'm not quite how it happened, but yeah, I've ended up being a moderator of uh, at least three or four spaces. So I'm a Mm -hmm. Stimhack mod. So not a, not a Stimhack Slack mod, but the the old Stimhack forums, I'm a mod on there with a couple of other folk. And that needs a very light touch, um, pretty much, you know, it's relatively frequently used now because things have moved to Discord, uh, largely moved to Discord and then, and then moved to Slack. Uh, so most of the time, moderation on Stimac at the moment involves deleting uh, spam ads from people who have created an account on, on, on Stimac in order to promote their latest enterprise, which always seems to me a slightly futile endeavor, really, you know, the likelihood that you're going to sell stuff. But, and then... Sort of a, a stim slack uber mod together with uh, alexis and uh, dodge bomb and uh, bebla and then for a long while was uh, the uk moderator so the, the major channels on stim slack have their own moderation that's always possible so artist colony has its own moderators there are some other um other channels which have their own moderators and the uk channel has a, has a group of moderators one thing to maybe to say is that a well-moderated channel doesn't mean moderating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about the expectations that you set for that. Uh, for that. So, you know, moderator interventions on in, in Hash UK, rare, honestly, because everybody, is, you know, if, if somebody steps over the line, it's much more likely that another member of the community will ask them to step back from the line or ask them to clarify what they're saying or give them a chance to walk things back. Then it is that it, it, it escalates into needing to call for a moderator to, to, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, in a sense, it's, it's more similar to those in-person interactions. You have like stronger social norms built up uh, in a way. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and then I think, the, the, you know, the general channel has a different flavor, right? So people know that's been talked about for a long while. You know, it, people on there are probably edgier than they are in, in the UK. And it's, it's non, non-trivial, I think, to, to get the tone right there and, and or to get moderation right. You know, we, if, if you need a moderator on, on Stimhacks, like just type bang mods and you'll get the names of the folk and we instantly get a ping because our name would have been mentioned. So we can step in there. I think the other thing I would say is if you're if you're not sure whether you could call, whether you should involve a moderator, involve a moderator. And if we don't think we need to do anything, then we won't do anything. But if something does need to be said or spoken to or talked about, then we'll do that. We'd rather be asked to to take a position or asked for our opinion on on, on something or asked to intervene than we would that things go to pub and 
uh, you know, become very problematic. And then by the time we get involved, it's way, way too late uh, and, and so on. Um, something I've been passionate about for a while. I think we're getting there. Um, you know, another interesting challenge is um, Gintechi.net moderation. Probably 95% of the games that are played of Netrunner in the world right now are played on JNet rather than face-to-face. So I've been encouraging the devs team, um, Gintechi.net, to build in effective moderation tools. And I think we're getting there. We, have, we do have moderators mm. at the moment, but the tools that are available at moderators' disposal are relatively limited until the devs build them. And infinite sympathy and appreciation for the effort and time and investment that goes into making, building Gintechi and implementing cards and fixing bugs and all the rest of it. Noah and mm-hmm. his team are just extraordinarily and uh, done an extraordinary job. I'm curious on that note, as someone who like has never really been a moderator in an online space, what are tools for effective moderation? What helps you moderate more effectively? I imagine that there are some that are probably obvious, like some way to kick someone off of a server or something like that. But I also imagine that you probably want a number of tools that aren't the the ban hammer. And I, I'm just curious what those even look like. Sure. So the biggest tool that the, the moderators have at their disposal is the kind of terms of service or the the community expectations that are codified in a, in a code of conduct. And those exist um, for... Uh, but many places now didn't uh, seven or eight years ago. No, but there is a Stimhack Slack uh, code of conduct, which you can get to by typing bang COC. There are codes of conduct for the various discords. I'm pretty sure DLC have one. And so the first step is, is a code of conduct. So what are, the, what are the expectations? And if you haven't read uh, the code of conduct for, um, uh, for Stimhack or, or, or the various discords, then you should uh, very much you know, familiarize yourself with that. And they're not so different, really, from the code of conducts that, 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 that gets invoked if you play in person at a real life, there I said it again, at an in-person Nisei tournament. Like there are codes of conduct, what should you do and what should you not do, you know. But with respect to downstream tools from that, most of the tools that moderators invoke are not really kind of physical coded things. You, you, you know, you can ban somebody for a day, but most of the time there's social interventions like like, let me give a practical example. So when things went very badly wrong, the situation where there was NR, the NRDB scraping incident where, mm-hmm. where folks were scraping NRDB. Um, 2017, I believe. 2017, yeah. yeah. So that was a really difficult time for the community. And, and so what did we do? Um, you know, those folks who were involved in that were, you know, asked them, you know, the, the UK position was if you were involved in that, you're not going to be able to take part in the UK channel for a month you're banned from the channel for a month and in the month you can come back so the options are really so if, if somebody raises something that somebody has done or interacted with them in a way which is they, they find problematic then it's established the facts so typically speaking what if you do that if you raise something like that on on stim slack then the, the moderate we have a moderators channel we'll, we'll we'll talk about it between ourselves we'll make a decision about what an intervention we think is necessary might be just an informal chat to say hey just walk that back a bit you know the way you presented this is, is, is has the potential to, to really cause harm so or it could be you know ultimately it can be you know people have been banned from stimhack probably mm-hmm. in my experience maybe five or six people over the course of you know eight to ten years have been told you cannot you can no longer take part in this community because your presence is too toxic 
um, yeah. problematic for them. I, I recall yeah. a few of those bands and <laughs> the cases where I remember it happening were very warranted uh, and the behavior that led to them getting banned was extremely toxic and repeated. Yeah, and we, we don't want to be involved in those situations. We'd much rather those situations didn't occur, mm -hmm. right? They, you know, we're, doing, we're doing our job if, if that doesn't happen. Uh, because people don't behave in ways that, that that require that. On that note, one of the things that I found interesting about that answer was uh, the top tool that you mentioned, like the top moderating tool you mentioned was, it was not a technical tool. It was a, a terms of service, a, a code of conduct, really more of a social tool than a technical tool. And I'm, yeah. I, I guess, th does that say something about the art of moderating, about the practice of moderating? I've, I've had the benefit of having access to folk who are much wiser moderators than me. And, and I still, you know, it's, it's really hard, right? I'm not, mm -hmm. not asking for sympathy, but effective moderation is, is really, really hard. You're never going to please everybody. Uh, it's, it's just a reality. People are going to disagree with, with the choices that you make. You make the best call that you can. We've had to walk back moderation decisions. You know, we've said, we, we you know, when the Black Lives Matter stuff was going down, we 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 made a, a judgment call that we asked people to thread uh, thread discussion about um, Black Lives Matter in in general, and that in retrospect, you know, we got called out on that. You know, we were challenged on that, and we walked it back. We said we made the wrong decision. So this is important enough; it shouldn't be hidden. It, it needs to be out there for real. And so we apologised for that. We walked it back and, and changed changed the the decision that we made. So you, you, you're never going to make everybody happy. All you can do is the best that you can and hope that in the long run, the community ends up being healthier because of your moderation than less healthy. Maybe I can talk about, I think I'd like to maybe just raise something else which has been on my mind for a while without making this too serious. But I think COVID has really um, had an impact on the Netrunner community mm -hmm. and the physical ties that held us together, which are largely in-person play, those tournaments, those meetups, um, you know, the play testing that you do together at your local meetup, that disappeared for two and a half years. And we need to be working as a community to looking at how we re-establish that. You know, the online community is amazing. You know, Green Level Discord was bare, I think, I'm not sure, I think it maybe even started since the COVID pandemic started. But I think the, the online community is great, it's amazing, but it's not. If, if Netrunner is going to get back to being a physical tournament with physical interactions between people, we need to re-establish local methods, we need to re-establish local communities, we need to get tournament, tournament organisers back, back going. And I'm, I'm sure Nisse are thinking about this. I've seen certainly seen posts on the Nisse Discord about this. It's not gone unnoticed. You know, we want to get back to the days when, you know, the... US national championship was whatever 200 players mm -hmm. and that the UK national championships was you know I think we've certainly been up to 150 200 players um, and so it's interesting to think how we might get back how can we get back to this how can we re-establish Netrunner as an in-person experience not just an online experience a lot of talking I think that that's a very astute point and honestly it, it touches on something else that I'm curious about here how this isn't just an online space this isn't just a community this is a community that is centered around a game you know the, the people who are involved in these spaces are there to talk about play interact with people that play a game 
does that make moderation more complex, less complex? I, I don't think it changes it that much because most of the time, I mean, there, I mean, there there are things that are UK. The UK Channel decided, for example, that it was exhausted from hearing about playtesting, and really felt like every time playtesting was mentioned in Channel, it just led to heat and light and friction and 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 so on. So the request was policy decision by the UK moderators. If you want to talk about playtesting, thread it, right? Have it in a thread, but you can talk about it if you want to. You know, talk about you know your, your frustration about the the reason the, the mechanism by which this card came to have the text it did and not some other text and all the rest of it. The, the communities are, are netrunner communities, but I'd say if you look up most of the time, only maybe five or ten percent of the discussion that goes on on Stimhack is actually netrunner related. Mm-hmm. And it, it can change how people kind of approach that five to ten to ten percent of discussion, though. I mean, you have. You have some people who are are there, essentially to shitpost in Netrunner form. You know, they're they're there to play bad cards and and have a good time playing bad cards. And then there are some people who, if if this is if this isn't a deck that's capable of winning the event, why would I even consider it? Yeah, that's undoubtedly true. And I think it's 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 um, it's important that we respect the different ways that people want to play Netrunner. You know, some people want to optimize their decks and they want to min-max them and, and, and they really want to be there and they're completely uninterested in any card that, you know, is kind of on the edge. Whereas other people, you know, the reason they play is because they want to make their combo fire. You know, that's, that's the reason. You know, if they go to a tournament and they combo fires once and they win a game, or maybe they don't even win a game, but at least their combo fires this magical combination <laughs> of cards that does something really clever that you weren't expecting, and your opponent goes, "Whoa, hold on, <laughs> what? sorry, say what? <laughs> you're doing how much damage? Or you know, or, or uh, you know, you're you're resing how many cards for free? Or that's that's why they do it, and 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 it has been in the past." hard in some space some some sort of online spaces where somebody talks about their clever combo and, and somebody instantly basically shits on it and says that will never you know i don't know why you would do that because that's never going to win a tournament but their goal wasn't to win the tournament their tournament was to do clever things with cards that people weren't expecting let's also be real hey wait let me get my combo out is an incredibly fun phrase to say <laughs> That is fair, yeah. There was a really cool tournament that Jono ran in the UK some time ago, which was a junk tournament. So basically it was designed to, to encourage or to, to incentivize people to play, quote, jank decks. Mm. But the way he went about it was really clever, which is that as the tournament went on, the structure of the way each round was constructed made it more likely that your combo was going to fire or that your junk tech was going to work. So maybe you started one round with 10 credits instead of five, or maybe you could choose the five cards which you had in your, I don't remember the details, oh, but very close. Maybe you could choose the five cards which you had in your opening hand, or, or maybe you got four mulligans or something, but it was designed to give people a positive jank experience. And I think <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need more of that. Is there any like unique approach that you you bring to this? I know that you've talked a little bit about philosophy and a little bit about how it works, but do you have any specific reasons that it's one of the things that you feel strongly about, like your need to do it or, or why you've stepped up? Well, I, I, mean, I was approached to do it. Um, I, you know, 
Alex asked if I would moderate Stimhack, and and Dodge asked me if I would moderate. I guess a question is what makes what makes a good what makes a good moderator. I'm not claiming these for myself, so I'm not answering the question in the abstract. What makes a good moderator? I think a good moderator is one who folks respect. A a good moderator is one that folk are willing to listen to. I'm willing to invest time in people, especially when things go wrong. So, you know, I've had lots of conversation it's that, you know, the details don't matter, but I've had lots of conversation with people just talking to them about, you know, the events that happened and is there a way that we can avoid this again and trying to get to a place because the last thing a moderator really wants to do is to remove somebody from the community. It's much better if, if we can figure out why things are going wrong and help them to find a way that means that they don't run up against people in that same way or they don't transgress you know um i think we're, we're definitely stronger as a community than we were a few years ago with, with expectations around diversity and not using terms in casual conversation which are really un, unhelpful not you know not the assumptions that we make about folk i think that we're a better community than we were uh, in the past but i think Effective moderation requires that folk are willing to respect and trust you and listen to you. And then, you know, there's a little bit with moderation of having, it's kind of a, you know, an iron fist and a velvet glove because sometimes you, you have no choice. You know, you'll try and talk to somebody and persuade them that they're going about things the wrong way. But if they, if they, if they don't listen or if they, they listen and then they transgress again, you have to make the tough call, which is to say, sorry, but you can't be part of this community anymore. I think, I guess I would say, Netrunner needs more folk who are willing to moderate. So it was really encouraging when jintechie.net, there's a decision needed that jintechie.net needs moderators, and we put out a call and we had like six or seven folk who are really respected members of the community stood up and said, yeah, I'll do that. That's great. I won't be a moderator forever. And... I, when I step down, I want there to be folk coming along who are willing to, to to shoulder that burden. On that note, let's say that there are people listening to this podcast who think community moderation and having a healthy community are things that are important to me. How would you recommend, if they were interested, starting down the road toward being a community moderator? How would you recommend they got started on that? Like, what what would be good? What would be a good first step? So it depends on obviously what community you're in. So if you're really involved in Green Level Discord and you've been part of that for a good while, I think that you know it's it's unrealistic to expect that you'll moderate you'll moderate a community after just joining it. Um, although there have been in instances on Slack where somebody's got into Netrunner, you know, after three months, you know, they're really part part of the community. We needed moderation, and it turns out that that person has had five years of experience moderating, you know, Reddit forum or something, and has obviously done a really good job. So, if somebody's got previous moderation experience, then that really helps. I would say, if you're interested in, in moderating and you think you can help make your community, whatever that might be, whether it's a Discord or a Slack or some other forum, then I would say find out who the existing mods are and say, do you need mods? Like on the UK channel on Stimhack at Slack, it's like every year or every 18 months, there's an election, right? And everybody stands down and you can stand again. Folk will nominate, you know, say, I, I think you'd be a good moderator. Would you be willing to do it? So I think 
I would say the first thing to do is find out who the existing moderators are of the, of the community that you live in and then have a chat with them. Read the terms of con read the, uh, the code of conduct for the channel that you're involved in, the community that you're involved in. Check that you understand it, read around it, ask questions if you don't. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's how I would start. Excellent. I have another question, sort of apropos of nothing. Is there anything that you find enjoyable about being a mod or moderation in general? Sure. I think anytime that you have a really productive conversation with someone, someone who doesn't realize that what they said was deeply hurtful to somebody else, they just, and a key, a key component of moderation is to do with intent. So this is something I've learned, right? So you say something and somebody says, provides you with the feedback, what you just said actually is really hurtful. And this is why. And you say, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. I didn't, I didn't intend to hurt you. Well, the reality is, even though you didn't intend to hurt somebody, what you said hurt them. And so intent is actually not, not relevant. Well, it's not, not relevant, but it's, it's important that people understand that it's, it's possible to cause problems without being aware of them. And when you're made aware of them, the correct response is, thank you for telling me that. I'll make sure I don't do it again. Uh, and I'll, I'll make the situation right. So I think anytime you have a conversation with somebody as a moderator, just to highlight something and their response is, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. Um, I didn't realize, yeah, that's, that's really good feedback. I'll do better. That's great. That's exactly how we want it to work. Just course corrections, keep everybody on the straight and narrow. Uh, that's the best thing for everybody. I guess we should close this segment out and switch to a new one. What should we switch to next? We could do Deck and Bamboozle next. Deck and Bamboozle? That's, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can switch us over to that. So, so well, speaking of moderating your expectations, no, good that's segue. terrible. Good segue. No, no, we're leaving that in. That's a good segue. Uh, in, in all seriousness, though, uh, thank you for that sincere discussion of moderation yes. and, and all that it entails. I think part of what we really want to do with the segment is give people a little a little peek behind the curtain and really make it clear that this is a complicated topic. It is a hard thing to do, and it is an even harder thing to do well. And just give people a sense of kind of what actually goes into moderation, what the real goals are. So, so thanks for running through that with us. Sure. And on a much less serious note, let's talk about bad Netrunner decks. It's been a little bit since we did Deck and Bamboozled. So for anyone in the audience who is unsure what Deck and Bamboozled is, this is a segment where we talk about a Netrunner deck, a real deck of Netrunner cards that was taken to a real tournament of Netrunner games with the intent to win real prizes of a Netrunner variety. And for one reason or another, the deck ended up bamboozling the person that brought it. It could be because of poor play decisions. It could be because of poor planning decisions, like the cards that were in the deck or the meta that the deck was played in. It could be any number of these, but for some reason it has to have bamboozled the person who brought it. Could it be due to incompetence? Absolutely. Oh, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to ours, ours certainly were due to incompetence in a few cases, so... 
if, if that's what we have here, you are in very good company. Uh, you, you brought us a deck to talk about today. Do you want to give us a quick bit of context on basically what was the environment you played this deck in and what generally speaking is the type of deck that it is? So it's a, if you remember, cash refresh. Oh, do I? Yeah. Cash I've made some of the worst decks of my Netrunner career in cash refresh. Yeah, so I am not a deck builder. So I've already we've already established that I'm not a deck builder. I shamelessly let deck, but I I do have friends, and good friends, and uh, I I went to my first national championships. Actually, the first national championship that I went to was the Dutch national championships, 2017. Were there, but then there was a cash refresh day up the day after as a side event, and I stayed on for that. And I asked my friend uh, Maxi who's no longer with us, but she was a dear friend. Uh, I asked Maxie if she would build me a cash refresh deck for the tournament. So she did. And the deck is called Wampoa Works How Exactly. And although it went undefeated at the tournament, so that kind of doesn't... Well, yeah, hold on, hold on. Let's, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's, let's put a pin in that. We didn't hear that. We we we, we went, didn't hear that this is a deck that had a record like that. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I haven't read that far. All right, all right. Cut up. the feed. Cut the feed. Yeah. It, let me let me qualify that. It went undefeated despite despite the way I played this deck, not because of the way I played <laughs> this deck. This is a cash refresh deck. For those who don't remember the format of cash refresh or started playing after cash refresh was retired in eternity. Uh, the way that cash refresh worked is it was a, a limited card pool format of a very strange variety. Generally, how cash refresh worked was you got one. So this was one of the weirdest things, and it's going to lead to a few of the numbers that we're going to talk about here. You got one core set, as in like, if you opened up one physical core set box, the cards that were in that, you got to include in your deck. So for instance, there is one copy of Sans Sans City Grid in this deck and enough influence remaining that there could be a second copy of Sans Sans City Grid, except there couldn't be because the physical core set only had one copy of Sans Sans City Grid. For these reasons and these reasons alone, this is why I outsource my deck building because I was there was no way I was ever going to understand the deck building constraints, nor be yeah. able to set up Netrunner DB to actually tell me whether that deck was legal. So it was just easier to outsource <laughs> the deck building and yeah. uh, and and get it done for me. It's not as relevant for this particular deck because this is an HB deck, and there is a. There's a very clear, correct choice on the corpse side in, in I would say, 90% of cases. But mm -hmm. something that is very unique about cash refresh and very interesting about cash refresh is you also got to choose a big box, but only one big box. So in this particular case, the choice is clearly data and destiny because you get global food initiative. But for instance, think on the runner side. Max is a really strong ability. It would obviously be great to be able to draw one card from your deck and mill two cards in a format where you do have the red sands cards you do uh, and you do have the flashpoint cards so you would have access to the bin breakers for instance max with the bin breaker sounds awesome you would love to have levy but you can't you literally can't max is in one big box levy is in a different big box you cannot have both ever in cash refresh some of what we're going to go through here 
you might have questions like, why didn't you include obvious card that's very good with this archetype? In some cases, the answer might be because it was an omission, but in many cases, the answer is going to be because it was not legal to. Yeah, and a good analogy for uh, what cache refresh represented in the era that this deck was built is basically this was um, FFG's version of of a startup format, limiting the so amount of cards that you could put together. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was a build your own startup, but in a much more confusing and janky way. <laughs> oh, for sure. And verifying the legality of the decks was a nightmare. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> This is a Haas Bioroid Engineering the Future deck, already starting off with an, one of the best ideas ever printed in the entire game. Netrunner, first time you install a card each turn, gain one credit. Chef Kiss, amazing, couldn't possibly pick a better purple ID, unless you're doing some weird CI thing. Agendas, we've got three accelerated beta tests. I'm going to pause here for a second. So there is a bit of a, a philosophical question when I see three accelerated beta tests. Were you firing these ABTs? Well, I think I might have fired the ABT if I understood how the other cards worked, which clearly ah. I didn't. Ah, that's a shame. <laughs> Always be triggering. That's what it stands for. Always be triggering. ABT. See, the chapter, I mean, the card has recursion, right? The, the deck has recursion, and we do have two copies of preemptive action. But preemptive action requires that, you know, if you're tough to score an accelerated beta test, you know, and, and you can't play the preemptive in the same turn usually even if you're scoring off sand sand because there's still an advance advanced score so you know so i was probably I, I i would be surprised and the deck also only has 11 ice <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is a wide deck it would be fair to be fair to say it's got 20 assets and only 11 ice so i don't yeah. think we're firing the abts but we almost certainly almost certainly wouldn't have fired the abts anyway just because of incompetence. Uh, so we have three ABTs, we have three global foods, we have three successful field tests. Then, uh, as you pointed out, 20 assets in this deck. And a lot of that is because of uh, one that I'll pull to the, the top of the list, even though it's not the top of the list uh, alphabetically, Estelle Moon. Many people listening to this podcast will already know and either love or hate or potentially both Estelle Moon. For those who are newer and less familiar with Estelle Moon, this is an asset. Costs two to res, three to trash, and it says whenever you install a card in the root of a remote server, place one power counter on a Stell Moon. Trash for, and this is trash at instant speed. For each power counter on a Stell Moon, gain two credits and draw one card. This is easily one of the strongest cards ever printed, and one very compelling reason to have 20 things that you can install in the root of a remote server. The assets that you have working with that, you have Adonis campaigns, Byroid work crews, Maryland campaigns, Pad campaigns, Sandbergs, and Wampoa reclamations. Before we talk about the Wampoa reclamations, just that's, I would say that's that's all of the, I, I would be willing to wager at least that is all of the good assets that exist in Cash Refresh that you can play in purple. I, I imagine that's probably the case. I, I would yeah. also note in passing that I could have had probably other assets, but I didn't spend, well, the deck didn't spend all of its influence. It's got five influence spent, less, <laughs> less than spent. And when I asked Maxi, why does this deck only have 10 influence? She said, I have no idea. <laughs> Agendas and upgrades also can be installed in the root of a new remote server. You are correct. Moon as well. 
Yeah, and, and a, a really a really good uh, skateboard trick to use terminology from other parts of the the netrunner community. A really good skateboard trick you could pull is you can imagine the magical Christmas land scenario of you have a stell moon, it's got some counters on it. You pop a stell moon, you draw a bunch of cards. You might have you know seven, eight, nine cards in your hand. You score a successful field test. Successful field test says install as many cards from HQ as you want, ignoring all costs. You make a bunch of new servers, you install a bunch of new assets and or agendas and or upgrades, and you have rezzed a new Estelle Moon right before you do that. So suddenly, you you know, you go from an Estelle Moon with five counters on it to an Estelle Moon with four counters on it. And you just gained all of that money and drew all of that cards and all, all of that tempo just goes straight into, you, you inject it straight in. And it's one of, it, it was a little unfair that you were able to do this in cash refresh. Cause honestly the runner, there was just nothing that was anywhere close to the same power level that the runner could do in cash refresh. We'll come back to Wampoa Reclamation in a bit. Cause I think that, that that is a bit of the center point of this deck, but you have some operations, you have three biotic labors, you have two preemptive actions, and then three uh, card that is currently banned friends in high places, which is two credits. It is a terminal operation. So after you resolve it, you end your action phase, but it installs up to two cards from archives and you have to pay all install costs. Obviously, Estelle Moon on the table, this is absolutely bonkers. This is an incredible card. <laughs> As we talked about the one copy of Sansa and City Grid that you were legally allowed to have, you've got 11 ice, looks like eight, eight of these are fairly replacement level, Seder Adaptive Barrier, Enigma, and Roto Turret. And then three of them are some of the best dice ever printed, Fairchild 3. Which is also currently banned. Yeah. Many banned cards. It tells you a lot about the strength of this deck. Uh, honestly, this this would have been a reasonable standard deck, I think. It wouldn't have won all of the games that it played, but it, it would have done okay in standard. The fact that you were able to play it in cash refresh is yeah, slightly I, unfair. <laughs> I guess plot was plot would have been legal in the um clot is in the core set that the decks yeah. are fundamentally all about faster balance, right? So either three biotics and and a sansan. And then, you know, if you trash the same server, I'm just going to put it back again. So you probably yeah. just leave it there, right? And then Byroid Work Crew. <laughs> I get a card that I probably, I, I'm not sure I even used it once on the. Oh, deck. I love that card. I love that card. It's um, Byroid Work Crew, for those who have never played the card, is a two res for trash asset. And it has the ability, you can trash it to install a card from HQ. No restrictions on the type of card it can be but you can only use this ability in the next paid ability window after playing and resolving an operation. So what you would often do with Bioroid Workcrew is you would have Bioroid Workcrew, you would play Biotic Labor, and then you would install a 3-2 from your hand. Yeah, you could, you could do that with a 4-2 as well. Yeah. Um, you can score food off Sansan City Grid as well. Yeah, so right, you, you have a Sansan City Grid res, you res a Bioroid Workcrew, play a Biotic Labor, you now have four clicks and you also get the free install from Bioroid Workcrew. You have four clicks and you advance, 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 plus one from Sansa and you score a global food from hand. It's essentially an extra biotic labor that only costs two. And it can really throw people's math off. They're like, oh, you need to score the three points to win. You need to have 13 credits to do that. If you have Bioroid Worker, you only need 11. Let's talk about the namesake of this deck, Wampoa Reclamation. I'm just going to read the card because this is a card that's been banned for a while. I think many people listening to this episode will not know what it does either because they've never played with it or because they have not played with it in four years or so. Wampoa Reclamation is an asset. It costs three credits to res and three credits to trash. And it has the text, 
trash one card from HQ to add one card from archives to the bottom of R&D. Use this ability only once per turn. That's the text of the card. When you were playing this deck, how did you believe Wampo Reclamation worked? Well, it, it does what it says on the card. You, you, you trash a card from HQ. And then at some random point later on, you can also add a card from archives to the bottom of R&D, but clearly not the card that you've just put in archives. Clearly, that would be no. That would be outrageous if that were the case. So, yeah, I mean, it seems kind of okay, but I basically stared at this card for the whole day thinking, I don't want to put an agenda in archives. I really don't want to put an agenda in archives. If I put an agenda in archives, they're just going to run it. So I'm not going to put an agenda in archives. And I don't think I used Wampo at all the whole day because I didn't think, it, you know, it's like if I put an agenda in archives and then put another card back on the on, on the bottom of R&D, my agenda is still in archives. And that's really bad. So mm -hmm. not going to do that. Especially in a format like Cash Refresh, where because of the lower power level, running archives is a much more reasonable play because just generally there's less that you can do. Yeah. So long story short, didn't use this card the whole day, stared at it thinking, why did Maxi put this card in? Had to leave the, uh, the tournament early uh, to catch a plane back to the UK. So sent Maxi a message uh, on the train saying, why did he put Wampo in this deck? It seems really bad that you put a card in archives, like an agenda, and then you put another card back on R&D, but then your agendas. And Maxi said, well, no, did you not realize you, you can put the card that you put in archives immediately back on the bottom of archives? Uh, and that was kind of, that was the face palm moment, really, when I slumped into my train seat with in ignominy, realizing uh, <laughs> this card was really actually quite good yeah but i but i wasn't <laughs> this card is really good yeah <laughs> so, so it's fair to say that the bamboozling here was the text of wamboa <laughs> yeah effectively what you're what you're describing is we have this deck that already has only spent 10 influence but if you don't use wampoa even once on the day this is a six influence spent 47 card engineering the future deck that still yeah. went undefeated. So it probably just testimony to the fact that A, uh, ETF is really good, and B, Estelle Moon's really good. Yeah. And C, Friends in High Places, really good, and Biotic Labor's really good. And those things combined can outweigh the incompetence of a moderately good player. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll allow me i would really like to read this interaction on this image up top so toll has kindly put in the the deck list here an, an image of a, another conversation between he and maxi which goes maxi did you not think you could do that toll no, no. maxi <laughs> toll Fucking socks. No, no, no. It's, it's fuck socks. Fuck socks. <laughs> okay. Maxi, I told you it's a good card. Toll. You could do that on the runner turn? Maxi. Yes. Both. Toll. It's once per fucking turn. Ah! <laughs> 
normally this is the part of Deck and Bamboozled where we ask, so how would you make the deck better? But I don't think you actually need to make the deck better. <laughs> the, the deck is clearly pretty good. Yeah, just don't yeah. have to play it properly. Yeah. <laughs> I think the main thing that you potentially need to make better is Wampo Reclamation, just more clarity on how it works. There probably could have been reminder text that just makes it very obvious that you could do the thing that you thought was not legal to do with Wampo Reclamation. Yeah. Wampoa Reclamation bamboozled you, the deck bamboozled your opponents, and... If you could slot Wampoa, slot Wampoa. It's a good card, but unfortunately you can't because yeah, don't, it's don't, don't do it now. <laughs> Definitely don't slot Wampoa now. Well, if you're playing against me, maybe do. I need the wins, but generally speaking, it's bad advice. Okay, so with that, so we should probably move on to a classic of ours, right? I agree. I agree. It's time for the most classic of the classics. Yeah, traditionally, one of our segments that takes the longest, we really go through mm -hmm. the competitive ins and outs of this decision. The we, whys, the wherefores. Lots of time, probably more time than the rest of the episode combined. That's right. It's it's, it's time for Banner Nab. And today on Banner Nab, Toll has picked a card for us that we should make a decision either to ban it and make sure it can never be played again or nab it for whatever reason we would like. Toll, what was that card you chose? Mandatory upgrades. Nab. Ban. Nab. Now okay. that we have spent an exhaustive amount of time discussing every in and out of the decision to ban and or nab mandatory upgrades, getting into the controversy that is surely brewing because we had disagreement, let's go ahead and move on to a much less discussion-intensive segment, the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. Toll, you also have a choice for this segment. What is the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it? And I will note for anyone listening, uh, this is a week-specific recommendation. So mm -hmm. please, during the week that you listen to this podcast, respect our guest and do not play this card because it is a bad card that you still shouldn't play. But in the week following that, you can make your own mind, I guess. So I'm going to say Ginger City Grid. Ooh. This one is going to definitely ruffle some feathers. Why is Ginger City Grid the bad card of the week that is still bad and you still shouldn't play it? You got to find it. You got to put it in the remote. You got to draw cards. You got to put them in. And then you end up putting all of your cards on the remote. And then you lose on HQ or R&D. Right. <laughs> so the only thing it's got going for it is that it costs nothing to res. Is it nothing to res or is mm -hmm. it one to res? It's like. And, and I suppose at some level you could say, well, it costs five to trash. But I just feel like it just means that you end up with a remote that nobody's ever going to run, and then you lose on centrals. I 100% agree with you on that analysis. And I think it's also a frustrating card to play against. Every single game I play against Ginger City Grid plays out the same way. If their deck decides that I've been a good boy and I'm allowed to win, I win. And if not, then they will get a second Jinja City Grid, slap it on a central, and I'll just be completely destroyed and I'll never be able to play Netrunner again. It's not a fun card to play against at all. In a, in a, especially in a meta, to get slightly serious, in a meta where Boomerang is a thing yeah. and Botulus is a thing, and you've just told your opponent where the 10 strength surveyor is. I was even thinking before we had those tools, it was... You know, like when you had David and it was like, okay, I can David through it like once and then David's gone and, and I never get to do it again. Even then it was not the strongest game plan because 
exactly like you're pointing out, it only reinforces one remote and probably doesn't reinforce the central until much farther into the game. Even then, it's a bit of an annoyance, but it, it doesn't, it is not a winning game plan. Now, when you have so many more tools to just deal with one ice with little amounts of money, it's much more of a liability. The information I, matters a lot more. I've actually played against and, and played a lot of this card. Really? Because uh, I didn't know that yeah, about you. Yeah, it was, it was popular when we were playing in person at some point. So I figured I'd had to put a deck together. I played against it more than I played with it. But playing with it, the card is like really feast or famine, which is what I don't like about it. When it works, it's really good. When you get the cards drawn in exactly the right order, you get the ice put where you want. You get two early, maybe. So you put one on R&D and you put one on your remote. And then you're kind of just flopping, putting ice between those. And then eventually five or six ice servers and you paid basically nothing to do that. So when it works like that, it's great. Feels terrible for the runner when it does work like that. Feels great for you as the corp, but also like all of the stars have to align. When they don't and only half the plan works, it's still kind of annoying for the runner and still kind of enjoyable for you. But then you may lose on centrals. Feels like a lottery card. You know, it's very risk reward. That's why I kind of don't like it. I don't know. You can even you can even get like two early game, right? And then res them on your central and your remote. And then like you mm -hmm. can draw no ice. And that's happened to me as well. Like, <laughs> like you get a couple and then then you start getting operations and agendas and you're like, where's all my ice? Yeah. Have the, 20 in the deck. It always felt very good as the runner to see them res an early Jinja City Grid and then fire off an early violet level clearance and completely whiff and discard three cards. Yes. There are cards these days that it's definitely good with, like Spin Doctor's good. You know, oh, you, true. You, you know, you draw the, you, you, you install Ginger, install Spin Doctor, Res Spin Doctor, draw two cards. If they both happen to be agendas, you can just overdraw and bin them and start all over again. I'm trying to think, have I ever played a deck with Ginger City Grid in? Probably have. Don't think I've ever taken it to tournament. I'm fairly certain I have not played a deck with Ginger City Grid. It's just not. Even if I do play a Glacier deck, I don't like the Jinja City Grid style of Glacier. I like to be a lot more... I, I like having the hidden information. I like mm -hmm. being very intentional with when and where I place the ice. And it's much easier to do that with a deck like, you know, a classic old Polana or Agon Fusion than, than Jinja City Grid, which is like, well, if you want the ice, you better put it now because otherwise you're going to pay five for it later. No fun. Yeah, I do think that that's a fair point to told that you were saying with Boomerang and Botulus, the reveal part of this card becomes a lot worse because either you're putting down a, a surveyor and you're not revealing it and you're paying five to put it on the server and then they just kind of know, oh, okay, that's the surveyor. Or you're revealing it to them, putting it on the server for free and then they know for certain that that's the surveyor. That's always the card that this leaned on. It also leaned on the... Uh, Osator Adaptive Barrier. Yeah, which like Botulus is like, okay, I don't care. Like strength doesn't matter on that. So like the two cards that, that a deck that runs this really lean on, they're not really that good right now. And you're just showing your opponent where those cards are at. Bitter and cynically twisted view on Ginger City Grid. If I can be completely honest, I think this is just reminding me how I personally think, it, you know, it's it's going back to the old parasite is good, actually, argument. Boomerang is not only a good card, but a good card for the game, because you used to be able to just 
okay, I put four ice on a remote and one of them is surveyor. And because of that, I won the game. Like that used to be a genuine game plan that a lot of corpse had. And that is awful Netrunner. It is terrible Netrunner to play and to play against. And the fact that you can just say, okay, Boomerang is in the game. You have to work much, much harder to make that game plan work. That is in service of the game in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess we, we got a bonus good card of the week. It's still good and you should still play it. <laughs> a bonus beef loaf. I don't know if I really have much else to say for or against Jinja. And I think we're in broad agreement, honestly. Oh yeah. This is one where we have consensus. I agree. Jinja City Grid. It is a bad card of this week and you still shouldn't play it this week. And frankly, you probably shouldn't play it the week after either. A bonus week. A lot of bonuses this episode. Are there any other burning questions that we have to ask while Toll is on? Geist. Criminal or Blue Shaper? Criminal or Blue, a faction that shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there is much more about the Shaper, about Geist, than about the Criminal. It doesn't really... I mean, even to the extent that, you know, heresy, guys decks that don't have Siphon in them, because, you know, you really can't, you can never afford to float tags because then your stuff gets trashed and that's really horrible. And putting in tag removal just, you know, occupies the good slots that you want for other things. So I think, I think, yeah. Blue Shaper, very much rather than Criminal. Often also, no account siphon, no sure gamble. Yeah, absolutely wild. Like two of the events that make Runner worth playing. To give a shout out to Code Marvelous, actually, because I took Geist to King of Subways in mm. New York several years ago. And he punitive me through, I think, something insane. Like he punitive me through like three sports hoppers and I was Geist and he still managed to kill me. And I was very, very annoyed. <laughs> I think I was like one card short. And, he'd, you know, I fired everything along the way to try and get more cards in hand. But he still Jeez. killed me through all of that lot. So big shout out to Dan. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think I've ever actually killed a Geist. I've beaten Geist, but I don't think I've ever actually killed a Geist. So that's, that's truly impressive. Amazing, amazing job there, Dan. The card that I really miss is the Source. Having the, source, having the source, uh, having the source on a street peddler. Oh no, on a street peddler. That's even worse. It doesn't yes. get any better than that. It really doesn't. Oh. That, that's a supreme level of bullshit that I'm here oh. for. This is also the reason I call it the sauce. It's the secret sauce. I assume this was back when the the most wanted list allowed you to also play film critic alongside it. So. You never actually had to get rid of the source. That's the corp had to get rid of the source. Yeah. Or you had four guys, right? So you have four yeah. guys that stop. Oh, true. Right. You have four. Ah, oh, yeah. my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fall guy does that? Oh, no. It was no. so good. It was so good. I feel like I know this and I've repressed it and I'm being forced to relive it right now. <laughs> what a nightmare. On the other hand, okay. scarcity. True. You know? mm. Very true. Well, I think... That means we have reached the end of this episode of the Slums Cast. As always, thank you so much to our special guest. Thank you, Toll, for coming on, talking with us about some serious things, some less serious things. Uh, it, it was it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, folks. 
if you liked what you heard on this episode of the slums cast then interesting taste choices but you can also follow us to hear more that is like this and the places that you can follow us are wherever you happen to be listening to this right now basically any major podcast distribution network that has following or subscribing you can subscribe to us there it will help you hear more episodes like this if you liked what you heard consider leaving us a review or leaving us a rating in that podcast distribution platform if you know someone who you think would be interested in hearing an episode, either this exact one or an episode like this, consider sharing it directly with them. That is one of the best ways to make sure that more people hear the Slumscast is to put social pressure on them to listen to the Slumscast. So this is the point of the episode where we also ask our special guests if they want to give any shout outs. So Toll, would you like to give any shout outs while you're here? I guess I will say give a shout out to everybody who's made playing Netrunner and being part of the Netrunner community such fun for the last six, seven, I guess nearly eight years now. It's been a blast. I've learned so much. Uh, I've got way more from other people than I'm sure they've ever got from me. So thank you all. You are lovely people. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on. And the last couple things that we have to say on the Slumscast episode today is um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, the best places to reach me or Josh, who are the, the people that you will want to reach, you can find us on Slack. you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Reddit, you can find us on GLC, you can find us on uh, uh, most places where the Netrunner community congregates, you can probably find one or both of us. And we are the best people to reach if you have any questions or comments, if you have any concerns... just cut the episode there.